we all have the power to make our lives as interesting as we decide we want them to be. So I think dwelling in your unhappiness about your job is a pointless place to be. So I think you would have to definitely get yourself into a more positive mindset and start thinking about the future and how you can transition your experience into something that you think you're going to like more. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins. This week is dedicated to talking about the relationship between our happiness and feelings of satisfaction in our work. I had the pleasure of bringing Christy Hurt, an HR executive and founder of The CoLab, which is an inclusive networking community for people who work in fashion, beauty, wellness, and retail, to talk about the nuances of excelling in the working world. Christy shares valuable career advice from best practices for recruiting and finding a job to navigating the tough transitions that come with entering the working world as a young professional and how to understand your worth so you can become your best advocate. We also talk about ways to strike an optimal work-life balance and how to find meaning in your career if you're feeling a bit lost or unhappy. I know that something that I've discussed with a lot of my friends and peers and colleagues is the importance of finding ways to not make work your entire life and how can you integrate what you do into your own personal life and find that sweet spot. So I felt like this conversation was particularly valuable for my not only myself, but also my community. So if you like what you hear, make sure to follow along this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer and give it a like, rate, or review. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, Christy. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I think this topic today is super relevant and very important to discuss as someone who newly entered the working world. And a lot of my listeners are also recent graduates or finishing up college and exploring this new path in their lives or they're entering the professional world, which is so daunting and also so different from what it's like being a student. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also changing a lot. So it's a good time to graduate and start the workforce because it's completely different than it was 10 or 20 years ago, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Especially when I talk to my parents and you know how they navigated that scene, it's, it's completely different now. And I think there's a lot more opportunity now to really advance in your career and build the kind of career that you want. But before we get into that, I'd love to start off by talking a little bit about your background and if you could share a little bit about how you got into the HR space. Yeah, sure. So I'm Christy Hurt and I'm a human resources professional with my own practice. And I started out learning about recruitment and HR by running stores for Kate Spade when I just graduated from college. I had worked in retail while in college. I was a pre-med major who decided to switch to Spanish and graduate and move to New York City. I grew up in Texas, born in California, and I really wanted to live in New York City. I'd visited a lot as a kid and came also during college and 
really um, wanted to explore what starting a career in New York City would look like. And because I didn't have a lot of business mentors in my life, my dad was a pilot, my mom was a music teacher, I didn't really know what the options were outside of the things I'd already done before. So I started out in a store where I was promoted very quickly to run multiple stores for Kate Spade and open stores for them. But that also included recruiting, hiring, onboarding, training. And so I really got interested in human resources as a career when I was in that first job. And I spent quite a bit of time there. I decided to pursue an MBA with a focus on organizational development while working full time. And then I was very lucky to land a recruitment and development HR role at LVMH Group where I spent over five years really learning all of the different areas of HR. And then after getting married, having kids, I actually left and started my own firm. I think it's really fascinating how your job at Kate Spade kind of ignited that interest around HR, because maybe it wasn't necessarily what you were expecting when you thought you were going to be managing stores and and really running the show. HR kind of naturally just came about when you started recognizing that you had to, you know, onboard talent and find people. And, you know, it seems that that experience kind of indirectly informed your your passion for going into the human resources area. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I also think, too, um, you know, I don't want to make assumptions about what gives people energy, but, you know, being in a store and working physically on, in a special, especially in a small growing brand, in our case, we were doing a pretty high volume of turnover um, of, of merchandise every day with a fairly small team, which translated to me running around physically being on my feet all day, every day. Um, opening boxes, unpacking boxes, lifting heavy boxes, um, selling to customers, managing people, and also managing, I mean, at the time, you know, we paid more than minimum wage, but it wasn't, the sales associates didn't make a ton of money. And so, you know, we would often hire part-time college students from NYU or other colleges. And, you know, there was a constant revolving door of staff you know, sales associates tend to come in, sell and leave. Um, They don't stay that long. So there were a lot of reasons why I didn't see myself staying in the retail environment long term. I think it was a really, really great opportunity for me to learn the business, understand the customer, the product. It was a super fun job to do for me in my early 20s. But by the time like I applied to business school, I was I was ready for something more um, with more corporate hours, Monday through Friday. You know, the thing about retail is you work holidays, you work weekends, you work late hours. So it can be a little isolating depending on what your circle of friends or your family are doing. So for me, that was definitely a motivator um, to get into a more corporate Monday through Friday type of environment. Um, And when thinking about all of the different areas of the business that I could have potentially gone into, whether it be like sales or licensing or PR or HR, I thought HR is actually a really good fit for me. So it was kind of a combination um, of reasons, but then also a process of elimination that got me there. So it seems like now when you reflect on the journey of your career, it's easier to kind of put the dots together and understand you know, why you made certain career transitions and what led you to the next step throughout your career development. But if you were to you know, go back in time and tell yourself something that you wish you knew then, 
what would you say to your younger self around navigating those transitions? Because I think it's it's easier to reflect on like the sequence of events now after it's happened and understand how everything fits together and how you've built your career to date. But as you're navigating those changes, how do you trust that you're making the right choice for yourself? And how do you recognize when a role is right for you or you're not necessarily enjoying it and you you know you need to make that that change. Well, I mean, careers are like choose your own adventure. You know, whatever decision you make, it leads you to the next thing and I think at some point you have to accept that the universe is really designed to help us and give us exactly what we need. So I think you have to trust your instincts, you know? If you feel like you want to be a banker or an analyst or a consultant or a store manager or a marketing assistant, you need to trust that, you know? And I think by reading job descriptions and really studying the careers of other people you um, admire or also reading company websites and job pages and job postings of companies that are hiring in areas of interest for you, that's really the best thing you can do. I mean, interning, obviously, from as early age as you possibly can is key to really understand what something is. Um, Sometimes what you think it is and what it actually is on a day-to-day basis is very different. So just getting that experience, talking to as many people as possible, thinking about what really lights you up inside. Um, you know, we I, I two years ago, I launched a subscription-based networking community called The Collab for professionals at all stages of their careers. And we did a talk, I want to say it was last year, with uh, someone who worked in fashion and retail for many years. She also worked in media, and now she's currently working at Meta. Um, and she works on the shopping, on the shopping part of the business for, for Facebook, which is now meta. And, you know, she is also as a side hustle, an influencer, she's Filipino, she's a mom of two and she's a working mom of two. And so she, um, has actually, she started her Instagram at a time at a really good time, um, when the algorithm was really working in her favor. And so she was able to scale, you know, close to, I think 150,000 or more followers. So she was able to learn a lot about influencer marketing and social media through the process of becoming an influencer herself, um, while at the same time having a full-time job working in that area of the business for other brands and now, you know, eventually for Meta. And one of the things that stands out to me that she always talked about was this idea of what lights you up. And I think that you have to think about that. Like, what gives you passion? What do you love to do? You know, in my case, I love connecting people. I love connecting the dots. I love helping people figure out how to get to the next phase of whatever it is in their life that they're looking for, you know? So I think if you really like listen to your heart and think about what makes you happy, that's the dream. Because, you know, if work doesn't feel like work, then you've won. Exactly. And I think it probably takes a long time to get there as well because you need to try out as many different things as possible to figure out what you like and what you don't like. And I think a challenge a lot of people face when leaving college and leaving a more academic environment is not knowing what they like because the working world is so different than what we're used to undergrad, like being a student, you know, the routines that we're in, the schedules that we have, like when you're transitioning into more of like a corporate job, it's completely different. And so I think it's so important to take the time to figure out like what you like and what you don't like. And maybe to your point, really follow that intuition and that instinct, always kind of gravitating towards the things that you like and understanding that, you know, maybe the impact that you want to make can be take, it, it can take different forms and recognize that, you know, the things that you're interested in doing can 
you can do it in in many different ways as well. So for example, like maybe, you know, you're passionate about helping people, but that can be done in so many different ways. There are people that want to become doctors. You can be a lawyer and help people out in that way. Or you can also, you know, work in the profession that you do in HR and you're helping people find the right fit and, and navigate the job market. So I think it's also important to recognize that no matter what you do want to do, there's lots of different roads to get there. Yeah, definitely. And I think that you definitely know, even if you don't know exactly what you want to do, you can answer a certain questions for yourself. Like, what is my top priority? Is it money and security or is it joy? <laughs> you know, like, and that's the thing, you know, some people, money and financial security is the number one goal. And they might go into an investment bank or a hedge fund and learn that business because they feel that that's going to ultimately earn them the most money and then give them the most freedom to do whatever they want later in their careers. Um, there are other people who would absolutely hate that environment, wouldn't want to spend one day in that type of environment or job, and are just really wanting to be around creative people or designing product or working with fashion. And they don't care that it doesn't pay nearly as much or, or substantially less, especially starting out. Because that is what lights them up and that's what makes them happy and they would never prioritize money over what they love. So I think that you have to really understand what different careers are, what the, what the career trajectory and financial picture looks like. And there's plenty of information out there about this. Um, and not all of these options are available to every single person, but I think Getting the best education that you can get and continuing to learn, whether it's through a master's program, MBA, JD, or even just continuing education in an area of interest, for example, like sustainability, um, you know, whatever it may be, um, continuing to learn and meet people that have shared common interests will help lead you to the direction where you want to go. I totally agree. And I think that's a, a very important reminder, just recognizing that learning doesn't stop once you're outside of a traditional academic environment. And I also think that once we enter the working world and let's say, you know, for example, I'm working in consulting and right now this is what I'm doing, but it's something that I'm not sure if I'm going to do forever. And specifically in that industry, it's not something that people typically tend to do forever, uh, which I think is an attractive quality around going into consulting post-grad. But I've recently seen a lot of people in various different types of jobs um, within you know, their first few years of being in the working world actually transition into different roles and going to different companies. And you know, they've been exploring the recruiting scene now in a different environment. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what the differences might look like from recruiting for jobs and internships when you're in college versus when you're in the working world and you do have a job, but you're looking to change and move into something completely different. How does that recruiting environment look differently? I think when you're first graduating from college, companies want to hire someone smart and curious who has some basic skills and is personable and willing to learn and can be there at a certain time when they need to be there. And so the expectations are actually quite low. <laughs> um, however, there are a lot of people that can't even do that. So um, if you can do that, you're in a good place. Um, but once you've started in your first job and you've been there for a couple of years and you want to start to explore opportunities in a different industry or something entirely different, 
you have to think about what you've learned in your last job and how those skills can translate to something new. So for example, consulting. If you are consulting with retail companies, and even if you can't disclose what kind, what what the names of the companies are, um, you could potentially disclose some information about them that would eventually lead you to a job working for one of those types of companies on the brand side. So I see a lot of people doing this in consulting. So let's pretend you were working for, I don't know, doing a big project for like Bed Bath & Beyond, and you had to sign an NDA that says you cannot... Um, disclose that you worked on Bed Bath & Beyond project for whatever reason, um, but you can say that you worked for a you know multi-billion, I don't know how big the company is, but multi-billion dollar you know home retailer um, with a you know store footprint of whatever and an e-com business of you know in the hundreds of millions, whatever. You can describe it in a way that then makes your resume very appealing to a home brand looking to hire someone to do something similar. Like let's pretend you worked on a supply chain project or let's pretend you worked on like, you know, a a project where you were evaluating how productive each of these different locations are. And you ended up making recommendations to close certain, you know, locations and open ones that maybe didn't exist. Um, Then you could go to say, I don't know, let's say, um, another home retailer like Wayfair or, you know, Pottery Barn or something, some other like competitor. I don't know. I'm not thinking of any good ones right now, but, um, or direct competitive competitors. I mean, um, you could then, you know, pitch yourself to them and maybe they would want you to work in their retail, you know, corporate retail development office because they have a position, um, which is like retail manager of operations and real estate or something like that. And then you could say, oh, I worked on exactly this project for a home retailer. I know a lot about this industry and I've studied every single one of your competitors. I know where all of the markets are that are doing well and which ones are the most productive. And they would be so impressed. They would hire you in a heartbeat and it would be done. So I think you can't expect to do like a complete 180. You know, you can't expect to be working in healthcare and then suddenly get a job, you know, in, in fashion or beauty with zero experience whatsoever, you could potentially get an assistant role or a coordinator role, something really junior, but I don't think you could expect to go into a job at a more senior level at the same salary. If you are doing something completely different that you have no experience in, because that as you gain more experience in your career, the expectation is higher and higher, meaning to earn that manager level salary, you have to have a manager level experience, you know, which is typically like five to seven years of relevant experience. So you can't just keep, you know, changing industries and changing focus, which is why I always recommend that people, you know, as soon as possible, focus in on a specific area that they're really interested in. Even if it's one general area like marketing, you know, you could learn digital marketing, influencer marketing, email marketing, SMS marketing, but also brand marketing, copywriting, voice, you know, you could do all of those things. And those are all very different jobs. But at least if you're in within marketing for beauty or marketing for fashion or whatever, it's easier to kind of find different jobs and and kind of pursue different aspects of your interests within that scope. But I think going from industry to industry, job to job, like that could be a little bit, you know, difficult in terms of gaining momentum in your career in terms of salary and title. 
But it's not unheard of, you know, and I think especially for really bright people who are extremely entrepreneurial, often they'll, you know, dabble in a couple of different things and then they'll start their own business. And if that's wildly successful and they end up scaling it and selling it, I see a lot of people becoming um, serial entrepreneurs and just doing that again and again, which I think is kind of, I feel like among very high achieving people, that's kind of the dream. Yeah, I think that's a good distinction that you make as well. Not wanting to necessarily hop around between a million different things and not have that, you know, allow you to gain the momentum that you'd like for your career to really grow and, you know, gain that status and recognition and compensation. But then at the same time, it's like, well, how do you balance just the nature of exploring as much as you can, especially when you're early on in your career? And I think. Someone once told me that, you know, she'd graduated college and she was like, actually, Stella, like every like most people post-grad actually hate their jobs when they graduate, which I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think I've kind of heard a mixed bag around that. But what happens when you do really dislike your job right out of, you know, right out of college and in the working world? That is a really stressful experience because not only is it a big transition to leave college, move to a different city, make new friends, like try to have a life, like acclimate to what it's like having a nine to five job or or more. But it's also really difficult when, you know, your life can kind of become your work. And if you don't love your work, then it can be really hard to just feel like you're enjoying the weeks. And so how would you suggest young professionals navigate that transition and those difficulties around just not liking the work that they do? Well, I think there are a lot of different components to our individual happiness, right? Um, And I think it starts with getting sleep, not drinking too much or partying too much, um, exercising every day, even if it means waking up at 5 a.m., but hopefully you won't have to. And um, you can maybe do it on your lunch break or do it in the evening or do it at a normal hour in the morning. But I think that these are all things that we all know are proven to make us much happier people. So that's the first thing I would say is, are they doing those things? Um, You know, it's hard. I think if you're working a lot and you move to a new city and you don't know anyone where you are, I think that can be very challenging. But if you don't like the actual day-to-day work that you're doing, I mean, the only real options are, are there opportunities to work on different, like if I keep thinking about the consulting, if someone were consulting and they didn't like the specific clients they were working on or the industry they got, you know, they were given, um, you know, there's a possibility that you could express interest in working on different types of clients in the next cycle or whatever um, that are maybe more your topic of interest. But I also think that if you don't want to do what you're doing long term, I think you can also look at it as a learning opportunity and think to yourself, okay, I'm going to do this for two years or 18 months because I committed to it, whatever, however long you committed to doing it. And think of it as a learning opportunity and spend your time researching and thinking about what you want to do next. You know, I mean, with the internet, we have access to so many things, so much information, so many things are virtual now. Um, You know, we all have the power to make our lives as interesting as we decide we want them to be. So I think dwelling in your unhappiness about your job is a pointless place to be. 
So I think you would have to definitely get yourself into a more positive mindset and start thinking about the future and how you can transition your experience into something that you think you're going to like more. Mindset is so crucial. And I'm really glad that, you know, the first part of your answer was kind of doing an internal audit of, well, are you doing the things that are necessary that need to be done to take care of yourself? Because I think that really is the first step. Because then when you feel like, you know, you're establishing greater happiness and well-being in your day-to-day, then hopefully you can show up as a more positive person in your work environment. And that might actually have like a ripple effect and create a more positive working environment. But then again, it's like, well, if you really don't like the work that you're doing, then that requires, you know, some more thought as to where you want your career to go. And I think there's also something interesting to be said around, you know, of course, like there's the the gender like pay disparity and the gender gap. And I think women in particular have a more difficult time negotiating their salary and, you know, being able to ask for what they want and what they deserve. And I know we talked a little bit offline about some of the nuances behind that and, you know, the role that happiness can play in, you know, our ability to ask for what we want and be assertive and decisive with that. So I'd love for you to share um, your perspective on negotiating salaries and also just negotiating, um, you know, your role when you're moving into a new job. So I think the best thing you can do in order to understand your worth is to really talk to as many people as possible, read as much as you can about career paths and what different jobs pay, because Still today, companies don't always disclose what the compensation, they often don't disclose what the compensation is. And what most HR people will ask candidates now is what are your salary expectations, which is legal. It's illegal in New York State to ask someone what their salary history is or what they are currently making. Um, Often candidates volunteer that information even when not asked for that information. And I'll often tell people, you do not legally have to tell me what your current salary is, but I do need to understand what your expectations are. And typically, if a candidate is qualified and at the right level for whatever job it is that I'm recruiting for, they will usually ask for a number that is within the range of the client's budget. However, the client's budget is not a set in stone number. And the reason why that's really important to understand is because What sometimes candidates will say is, well, what does the job pay? And I'll say, well, you know, it's different for every person, which people don't like to hear. But if someone asks for 100 and they're qualified, they'll probably get 100. And if a person asks for, you know, 130 and they're qualified, they might get 130. But the budget might be 120. And if the person who asks for less gets the job, they're likely to have less experience and probably not yet at the point in their career where they should get 120. Whereas the person who's going to get 130 might be more senior with more experience than what the client thought they were going to get, but they decided to stretch their budget because they really want that person. Um, Whereas in the more junior person who makes 100, perhaps they decided to give an opportunity to someone who they didn't think would have enough experience, but they were so impressed by this candidate that they decided to take a chance on them. But just because they're getting 100 and not 120 or 130 doesn't mean that they're selling themselves short. They were actually given an opportunity at, you know, with a much bigger responsibility than they might've otherwise given. So the point is do your research and 
when you ask for whatever compensation you ask for, give a realistic number. I often say, you know, 20% more than what you're making currently is a really good number to ask for, but 20% total compensation. And some of the things that are a little different from job to job, sometimes the base is higher or lower and the variable piece is higher or lower. So different kinds of jobs pay differently. So these are other things that are really important for you to know about. Also things like paid time off. Um, you know, some companies have unlimited paid time off. Some of them have fully remote schedules. Um, you know, I know in my case, if I, you know, could work fully remotely from anywhere, and that means I could go spend a month in Puerto Rico, go spend a month in, in France, go spend a month in Asia while working any hours I choose to work. That gives me so much more life experience and freedom. That is worth a lot to me. So I think things like, where is the office? How much do I have to be in the office? What is the paid time? You know, those are all things that are really important to evaluate as part of your overall quality of life and compensation package, even if it's not really about money. Also, benefits is so important to ask about, you know, medical, dental, vision, how much, first of all, how good is the plan? Who is the provider? And how much of that plan does the company pay for versus how much you pay for? Because if they cover 100%, that is huge. If they cover 80 or 70 or 50%, that's very different. You know, so these are all really important factors to consider when you are evaluating a job offer. These are things that I wish I had heard when I was going through the recruiting process because I felt like in college it was very much like, you have to do all these applications. And I was recruiting in particular for consulting. So it was just studying up on the case interviews and doing so many practice cases. And then it was like when I finally got the offer, then like I took it and I was just like, we're going to see where things take me. And I felt like that was kind of the narrative that a lot of people were dealing with in college. Just the first goal was to secure the job and then everything kind of falls into place. But it's so valuable to have these conversations now and to also know this, you know, prior to entering the working world, because it really is so much more complex than I even realized. Like it's so far beyond just pay, really looking at like the benefits and the compensation and, and how all the pieces fit together and, you know, how your job can also best support your quality of life, I think is so important. And apparent to me now that it's just beyond, it's, it's beyond just your base pay which is really interesting. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't know that. And it's also very privileged to be able to make those kinds of choices, right? Like that assumes that you have multiple options, you know, which those are the kinds of people I do tend to work with. You know, I tend to work with people who are experienced in their careers. So keep in mind that as a headhunter, I tend to recruit for director level and above positions. Director level typically means minimum 10 years of experience, sometimes more. Um, you know, I do a lot of C-level recruitments. And so I'm dealing with people with like 10 plus years experience, often 20 plus, 30 plus. So I'm dealing with people who are very experienced. They are experts in their area, whatever it may be. And they do have choices. You know, these are people who have already spent years working for major global brands in a very specific area. They know what they're doing. They're coming in here to lead a department. Those people do have options and they do have choices to make. When you're coming right out of college and you're just trying to get a job, your first job, all of those other things, yes, they will affect your life. But do you really have a choice? Probably not. I mean, yes, if you got two or three different consulting company offers at the same time, 
you would want to line them up and see how they compared in all of those different areas and make your decision. But I think anybody would obviously do that if that were the case. But if you went through the entire process and you got one offer and it was a good company, obviously you're going to take it. Are those things negotiable? Usually not, especially not at your level. I mean, I think you have to, it is a good idea though, to really understand what the different components of your offer are, because sometimes little things are negotiable. Like if you said, I need to do Friday's remote because I take care of my grandmother in Connecticut and I go out there Thursday night, I can work, but I have to give her her medicine like Friday, Saturday, whatever, whatever thing it is, that's something they would probably agree to. You know, if it's a very specific ask that doesn't really affect them, but that's huge. If you don't have to physically be in the Manhattan office on Fridays and you can work from anywhere on Fridays, I mean, obviously don't make something up, but that is something that I think you can negotiate regardless of your bargaining power, something very small. So I think you have to know going in if there's anything like that that you do want to ask for. Definitely. And I also think that COVID, it's it's just a very interesting time now to be having this conversation because we're still in the middle of this pandemic and COVID was this catalyst for just changing the way the working world is and will continue to be, just given the fact that we've all had to work from home and we all had to pivot to doing re- remote work. So I think in a way, you know, it it really sparked the conversation for better understanding work-life balance because it can be very hard to have that distinction when you're working from home and that's your your place of rest and being with family and friends. But also it allowed for such greater flexibility to be able to work remotely and go anywhere and be able to try to integrate your work and your personal life in a more healthy way. So I think COVID now has kind of changed <laughs> the the scene forever, so to speak. And it's it's also, you know, important to recognize that we're now entering a completely different working world than two or three years ago. And so now moving forward is going to be different. Like forever, which is kind of crazy to wrap my head around. Well, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I actually think that COVID is coming very close to an end. I know that COVID is going to exist forever, but we're not going to keep functioning the way we have been for much longer at all. So already in New York, they're not checking vaccination cards at restaurants. They're not checking vaccination cards at events. Um, You know, sooner or later, probably in the next month or two, we're going to start seeing fewer and fewer people wearing masks. People will still get COVID, but people who are, you know, vaccinated and boosted are generally not getting very sick. And it's just becoming like a cold or flu that we all deal with on a regular basis. So I think that companies that have long-term leases or own their buildings or have a physical space that hasn't disappeared are going to start requiring people to come back into the office. And I know that actually my sister, um, who was working, who was hired into a job fully remote, was just told that with one week's notice, she needs to start coming in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And that was a complete shock because, of course, she had already planned all these trips where she was going to, you know, work remotely from all these different places throughout the year. And now she can't do that. Or else she has to find a different job. So I don't think, I think it's short-sighted to think that COVID has changed the way we work forever. Yes, 
A lot of systems are in place now where it's more acceptable in some cases to do things remotely. But depending on the company culture, I think there may be way more returning to work than people think. And people should be prepared for that because working from home, working remotely is really a privilege and it's not, um, it's not a guarantee. And, you know, I think companies want people to feel really committed. And I think to feel really committed to your company, often you need to bond with the people. You need to spend time with the product. You need to meet with your peers. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not, and I mean, I've been working from home since I started my own company many years ago. So, you know, I certainly would not be eager to jump back into the office, but I do see a difference between people who have been hired remotely and are working fully remotely the entire time. They don't feel as connected. It's just a reality. It's a reality of working fully remotely. Um, I read an article recently about how often managers will forget to promote people who are fully remote because they don't even remember that they're there. So I think it's actually probably better to be at least hybrid in the office. And I think that that's probably the ideal scenario for most people. Yeah. And that's what I meant around COVID changing the way that work will unfold in the future. And thank God we're not back in March of 2020 where it was really, you know, a, a huge concern. And now we it does feel like things are kind of opening up and returning more to a sense of normalcy. I know you know, for example, with my office, now it's fully reopened and we're not required to come in, but there's the option. And I think having the option is really, really nice. And so it'll be very interesting to kind of see how things evolve in the next few years as we're kind of transitioning a bit more out of COVID. I want to transition and talk a little bit more about the collab. And I know you mentioned this a bit earlier, but can you share with my listeners what the collab is and what opportunities are presented, you know, when joining the collab and how to get involved? Yes, absolutely. So as I said earlier, two years ago, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I started this networking community called the collab. So we are an inclusive professional networking community for people who work in fashion, beauty, wellness, retail, and even tech. So it's becoming more and more professionals who work for brands, consumer brands. And my background, of course, is retail, fashion, and beauty. So a lot of our members are in that space, but there's quite a lot of variety and depth there from people who work on skincare brands or makeup brands to people who work, um, you know, for retailers like Saks Fifth Avenue and have even transitioned into companies like Apple and Google. So we really have quite a wide ranging group of people and they're a very early career all the way up to very senior level in their careers. So what do we do? We have an internal SOC communication where we have opportunities for people to connect in lots of different areas. So we have warm connections. So let's say you want a job at Tory Burch. You can say, hey, I saw this job at Tory Burch. Does anyone know anyone there? And then maybe five people will say, hey, I work at Tory Burch. Or who do you want to meet? I can introduce you. So it's a way to get warm connections. We have, of course, internship listings, job listings. So you can get access to job listings that people in the community can actually recommend you for. So rather than just applying blindly through their website or through LinkedIn, you can get someone who will send your resume directly to the hiring manager often. Um, we have a newsletter that goes out to all of our members. So we feature a different member every week. We have a career stories podcast where we pair up two members to interview each other 
about their careers. And then we edit it and break it up into two different stories. So we're telling all these career stories of different people in different functions and different areas of the business. So for people, you know, early career people and even senior career people who want to transition into the industry can learn about these different career paths. Um, we meet virtually in our cafe. We call it a cafe every Wednesday at one o'clock. And we do a mentor series on the second Thursday of every month where we learn from a different executive about their career path. So, so far this year, we've had somebody, a designer in the metaverse. We've had a ready-to-wear designer who's worked for major global brands. We had a brand director who's worked for major global brands and magazines. So basically, members get access to incredible people who work for these companies. We're also starting to do in-person events as well. Um, we wrote a book, which was a collaboration and career advice from 110 of our members, which has provided lots of opportunities for us as far as brand partnerships. We are continuing to do partnerships with new brands. We just did an event with DVF. We did several events with Veronica Beard, which hosted our book party. So it's basically opportunities to learn about brands and careers and network with other like-minded people who work in the industry. That's amazing and so accomplished. I love that you have this internal podcast or sharing people's career stories. And I think, obviously, I'm very biased to podcasts because I have my own, but it's a very... Uh, you know, educational and entertaining when you get people together to talk about their life experiences and in particular their careers, because when you get someone to kind of talk about their own experience and how they went through that, I think it's really inspirational. And also that there's something actionable you can take from that. So I am so impressed with what you're, you're doing and will continue to do with the collab and everyone should definitely check it out. Um, what is the website or like the Instagram that people can go to? Yeah. So it's jointhecollab.com with one L. So jointhecollab.com. The Instagram is join the collab. The Twitter is join the collab. Facebook is join the collab. Everything's join the collab. Um, I am maxed out on my LinkedIn connections. So the best thing to do, if you go to my LinkedIn, you can email me. But honestly, if you want to talk to me, just join the collab. And I should also mention that it's only $18 a month. I really, truly wanted it to be inclusive and accessible for young professionals. It is absolutely a great investment. Just instead of buying that extra Cosmo, buy this or that martini or that Negroni, whatever it is. Literally, it's the price of one cocktail a month. Um, so even if you come to one event a month or you get one good lead in that Slack channel um, for a job or a connection that ends up leading you to something really positive, it's certainly worth it. Sometimes I think it's actually too inexpensive, but it's hard to make something really inclusive without making it really accessible and affordable. So we do need to scale in order to make this sustainable for all of us who are working very hard to run this and make it as amazing as it is. Um, but I really believe in it, you know, I really believe in it. And I do believe that we will scale to a size where we could, I could potentially even work on this full time. But I have to say, I do love the search practice that I have. I also do HR consulting for a couple of brands and all three of these different things that I do really complement each other quite well. So I'm happy to keep doing all of them. Yeah. And, you know, you're kind of an example around, what you were talking about earlier, where you can be interested in one thing broadly, like for example, you'd given marketing as as an example, and you talked about like digital marketing, brand marketing, and everything can kind of fall under that umbrella, but you can 
job craft your career to find the most meaning out of it. And I think in your case, you're very entrepreneurial, but everything kind of falls under this umbrella around connections and people and HR. And so I think that you're just kind of this living example of to what you're preaching about around finding meaning throughout many different avenues in your career and finding your path and making sure everything kind of comes together seamlessly and recognizing that you can follow what you're passionate about and that can take many different forms, but you want to make sure that it kind of is integrated in this one story. Yeah. And it all came together for me at, at some point. You know, I think I also do a lot of career coaching for individuals who want support one-on-one in their careers. And I work on a lot of, you know, resume and LinkedIn reviews and helping people define exactly what it is they're looking for and explain how the whole job search process works from the other side of the table. Um, You know, and I do really love that. I love helping people and I make that service really affordable because I want people to be able to afford it. You know, and I think a lot of people, especially early in their careers, cannot afford a career coach, you know, even though we all probably need it. Um, but, you know, I, again, I got to it from trying out different things first as a store manager, then a regional manager, then an HR manager, then rotated through a bunch of different HR roles, learning the business, working with outside search firms, understanding how that worked, realizing, okay, I can start my own. And then shifting from, you know, HR consulting, adding the search part of the practice, adding the career coaching part, then eventually adding the collab. The collab is great because I get so many resumes every day and I don't have time to talk to every single person. And I think one of the common misconceptions that people have is they think that headhunters actually work for the candidate. So I get these resumes every single day. And they'll say, I'd love to talk to you about my next step. I'd love for you to help me find my next step. And I will usually respond and say, great, thanks for sending me your resume. I'll keep you in mind if if I get an assignment, if a client hires me to recruit for a specific job that matches your profile, I'll keep you in mind. But they want to call and pitch themselves to me and have me find them a job. But that's not what I do. I work for the client that's hiring. So I'm only really interested in talking to them if I can, you know, fill a job that someone's paying me to recruit for, only then do I have the time to meet them. It's not that I'm not interested in talking to them. I'd love to talk to every single person in the world because I think I'd learn so much, but I've limited time in my day and I have to focus on meeting the candidates that are qualified and, and ready for the job that I currently have. And so I think that that's a huge misconception, but now with the collab, I can say, I don't have a job for you right now. However, if you want to get to know me and my network, join the collab, get access to jobs, clients, expand your network, get visibility, all the things that are ultimately going to lead you to your next step. I've created for you and provided for you for an extremely low price. Join that. And then if they don't want to join that, because some people are very um, closed minded about the way that they think they want to get help. They'll say, well, I don't want to join anything. And then I'll say, okay, well, I can also help you if you want an hour of my time. I can help you with your search. You know, I can talk through it with you, help you in any way that I can, offer warm connections, opportunities, think about ideas, brainstorm with you. But you're going to obviously have to pay for my time because as a self-employed person, if I'm going to give you my time, I need to be compensated for that. So I think that that is something that, you know, people have very, you know, 
unclear understanding around. Um, but headhunters work for companies that are paying them, and they usually only really have time to interview and speak to candidates that are qualified for the jobs that they're recruiting for. Um, if I ever, you know, if I love the collab though, because it gives me an opportunity to get to know them. And then often they're more top of mind for me when they do join the collab, because then when jobs come up, I often remember them. So I'm much more likely to remember people who join the collab and engage. It's just really hard to remember thousands and thousands of people otherwise. Right. That makes sense. That, that makes sense. And also just, um, understanding kind of some of the misconceptions around like what it's like being a headhunter because I think people think the former that you know headhunters will find jobs for candidates but it's really the headhunters working for the client and when there's an open role then they know you know who to seek out to fill that as we wrap up I have a few final questions the first question that I have for you is what is the best career advice that you'd ever been given so one I have two different points one someone my one of my first managers told me, just do the job you have as well as you can, and the next thing will come along. And I think that that's really true. I think if you work really hard and you do a good job, people will constantly be tapping you for other opportunities, either on bigger teams or for promotions. So just even if you're not sure if this is the job for you long term, just work your hardest and others will notice. So that is really good advice. One of the things that I said earlier, which is my personal advice, is that it's really important to define who your career icons are and study their career paths and how they got there. Um, because I think that by watching other people and seeing the steps that they take to get where they are today, you can create something similar for yourself. You know, Otherwise, we have no idea what to do. Yeah, I think also mentors are just incredibly important. And I wouldn't be here today without people advocating for me and really being a champion in my life. My next question is, how do you define work-life balance? And what are some things that you do to achieve that in your day-to-day? Well, I mean, I think my whole self-employed career, which started when my twins, who are now 14, were one year old, um, stemmed from me just wanting to work from home when they were little, you know, and I always had either part-time preschool or part-time help, but I didn't want to leave my house at 730 in the morning and get home at eight o'clock at night. That would, to me, which is what I did in my corporate job, didn't feel sustainable with young kids. And I ended up having one more. So I have an 11 year old and 14 year old twins. So now they're much more independent. You know, they go to school by themselves and they come home by themselves. And so I have a lot more freedom than I did 10 years ago. But I started my whole business so that I could have more work-life balance. I mean, I also always wanted to do my own thing and I've always been very entrepreneurial. But I find that I, without commuting and um, being able to work around when they were younger, the, the pick up and drop off schedule and stuff like that, it allowed me to be much more productive. One thing that I did before the pandemic, and it's something I'm really eager to start doing again, is prioritize exercise and fitness. So I didn't for a really long time when my kids were little. And at some point, I think it was around 2015, I decided that if I didn't schedule it into my day as my number one priority, then it would never happen. So I would literally, I was very lucky because I love yoga and I would, I lived right around the corner from a yoga studio and I would literally schedule a, me, a, a class at like it, anytime I could go, usually it was like nine, 10, noon or four or something like that. But it was like a time when my kids were in school 
And I would go no matter what, like no matter what was going on, it was like an important meeting on my schedule that I could not change under any circumstances. It was a three minute commute. I could go leave three minutes before the class and get there on time and do the class and be home three minutes later. And I just, not only was I in the best shape of my life, but I felt amazing. And I have to say, I have really fallen off the wagon on that. And I did and continue to do Zoom yoga, but I usually do it once a week or sometimes twice. And I really, you know, need to be doing it more frequently. It's just so much better for my mental health and for achieving work-life balance. It's really, really important. So um, I'm also really big on getting sleep. So I try to sleep. This is a really tough one. I try to sleep eight hours a night. So um, right now I am not achieving that. Um, but I try to get like start winding down by 10, usually not asleep till 11, 1130. But I'm trying to go to bed earlier because I do have to wake up um, at like six or six 30. So I think getting sleep is really, really important. And then frankly, my priority is, you know, my kids like feeding them, supporting them and whatever they're doing. But when they're gone, it's really for me, my priorities are work and fitness. So, um, you know, pretty much working all of the time that I can, but I'm also one of those people who almost refuses to like, even look at my email on the weekend, you know, like, I just feel like, it would be very easy to just work all the time, especially when you're self-employed because you never really get time off. But I'm kind of like of the mind that, you know, the work can always wait till Monday. And on the weekend, I really want to be doing other things that bring me joy, like seeing art, going to events, going to dinner parties, seeing friends, seeing family, um, playing games with my kids, um, you know, so whatever it is that is more fun, because I think otherwise it just feels like, you know, you're spending too much time doing work. You need a separation between the weekend and the weekdays. Absolutely. I agree. I think that you need that time on the weekend to recharge so that you feel ready to start the workday come Monday. Like you need that separation. And you kind of already answered my last question, which is something I ask every single guest that comes onto the show. What is something that brings you a bit of endorphins? Yeah, definitely yoga, but also just people. I mean, I think that sometimes it can be draining, but I am definitely an extrovert who gets a lot of my energy and inspiration from other people. And I love meeting really smart, interesting people who inspire me. So I think I'll leave it on that note. Me as well. And I love that you answered that because there's a lot of research out there that shows that the number one predictor of our well-being and our life satisfaction is from the strength of our interpersonal relationships. So people do bring endorphins, absolutely. And yoga for sure. I absolutely love yoga. And I think it's great that you are in a very disciplined routine. And the best we can do is just try our hardest to keep that up every day. So it'll be, I think, easy for you to get back on the wagon. And it's something I'm trying to work on as well as getting back into more of a structured yoga routine. But Thank you so much, Christy. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. My listeners now know where they can find you and where they can join the collab. Feel free to reach out to Christy. Um, don't hesitate reaching out to her. And I hope you know you get to get some more amazing career advice. Thank you, Stella. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening and remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins.
and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.